really want you to focus today on what God has done for you. And communion is, is uh, something we take very seriously because it's, it's a time when we get the opportunity to remember what God has done for us. I take you first to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, where Paul is instructing the church on how to approach, remembering what Jesus did on the cross. He says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'm really good at judging people. Anybody else good at that? Uh, If you sat down in my office and said, no holds barred, Doug, just tell me what's wrong with my life. Boy, I could go to town. And you could do the same thing for me, right? I mean, if you said, if I said, listen, I just want to know everything was wrong, you would say, okay, Doug, I've been, I've been keeping a list. You talk funny. And in fact, uh, you, you, you sound like you are married to family. And, uh, you know, I, you, you could just make, you can make a list of things that is wrong with me. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And I could do the same. But you know, Paul doesn't tell us to do that. He doesn't say judge your neighbor. He says examine yourself. So today for the next few minutes, what I want to encourage you is to think about who you are. What God is doing in your life or maybe where the gaps are in your life. Just to take a basic examination of where you stand in the eyes of God. So I want to give you three things this morning by which... Maybe we can begin to think about you. The first question that I have for you this morning is, are you walking closely with Jesus? The Bible talks about an intimate relationship with God that's more than just Sunday morning surface level Christianity, but walking closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us believe that God is a great God, that He is amazing, that He is awesome, that He is incredible. So why would that God even have a desire to have an intimate, close relationship with me? Why would He even care about me? The truth is that we don't deserve what He does for us. The truth is that we could never earn what He does for us. And so, why would he even care about having a relationship with me? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 these words. He says, there is no one righteous, no, not, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not real encouraging, Paul, but true. None of us are righteous. None of us are holy, none of us are perfect, none of us have it all figured out. We are all in need of grace. See, that's the nature of God. The nature of God is to give when we do not deserve. It's to overbless us. It's to give 
instead of punishment that we have earned, grace that we have not earned. Paul goes on in Romans 5, verse 8, that says, God demonstrates His love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the thing I love about God is that He doesn't give like a cheap person. He gives like a king. He has the ability to bless us far beyond anything we could ever imagine or deserve. And so intimacy with Christ rocks our world when we begin to think about it because it means that that God has full knowledge of who we are and yet He still loves us. You see, you don't know me. You don't know the, the sin that I struggle with. You don't know the things that I battle with on a daily basis and nor I you. But God knows. And the amazing thing about God is that He loves us in spite of that. That, that rather than give up on us, rather than strike down as the world think God's does, God does with lightning bolts, those who disobey and, and those who walk astray, God instead has an, an incredible amount of patience, if with nobody else with me. And He loves us. You see, God knows who we are. He knows what we are. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've done. He knows what's going on, and He loves us anyway. In fact, this morning, I just want to begin with an exercise of you expressing that. I want you to repeat these words after me. God loves me unconditionally. Would you say that with me? God loves me unconditionally. Say it again. God loves me unconditionally. Do you understand what that means? That there's not a checklist that if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, that God's love is dependent upon me making sure these things are done. Believe me, God wants you to live a holy and a blameless life, but He loves you where you are. I can't explain it. I just experience it. You see, the problem that we face is the problem that John wrote about in Revelations chapter 2 to the church at Ephesus. He's going to talk about their commitment to God and their following God. But the problem is that they miss a very important thing. Listen to this. The angel of the church in Ephesus writes, I, I know your works, your, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear to, to, with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. And I know you're enduringly patient and bearing up for my namesake, my namesake and, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you knew at first. The indictment that God brings to the church not only in Revelations 2, but I believe the church today is this, that we've walked away from our first love, who should be God, who should be the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in other words, the passion of the church of that day for serving and loving and growing and knowing Christ had cooled off. They had gotten comfortable with Christianity They no longer had a great passionate desire to grow personally or to tell the world about who Christ was and what he had done for them. Does that sound familiar? 
You see, there's nothing new under the sun, the Word of God tells us. And so the problems of 2,000 years ago are still going on today. We've not created anything new. We get excited about Jesus when we begin our relationship with Him. And, and then at some point, we, the, the fire begins to go out. And instead of burning passionately, excited about who Jesus is and telling the world about him, we get comfortable in our lives. You see, I don't believe personally that Satan does as much standing in your face, beating you up as he does nudging you off course. And so what we find ourselves is in a place that we never intended to be, with problems we never intended to have, and we are under indictment like the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 where, where God is saying you've, you've walked away from your first love. One writer put it this way, what we really need is the kind of intimacy, the walk with Jesus that doesn't require a stirring message or, uh, from the pulpit and doesn't depend upon great worship event or a concert but simply exist as a natural part of your daily walk. Oh, man. If I could just get to the place in my walk with Jesus where I'm excited every day to glorify God, where I'm excited every day to tell someone about Jesus, where I'm excited every day to know that God can use my heart, my life, my gifts, my abilities for His glory and for His honor. You see... We must have an intimate relationship with God. Secondly, we need to be seeking simplicity in our life so that we can glorify Jesus. My question for you this morning is this. Is your life too busy and cluttered to give priority to the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul, the, the writer of over half of the New Testament, a man who, who went around the world telling the world about Jesus, could not keep it contained, said these words in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to Paul's heart. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know that Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Here's what Paul realized. He realized that the world looks at my life and thinks I'm successful. The world looks at my knowledge base and thinks that I'm successful. They look at the things that I have achieved and earned and gathered, and they think I'm successful. And yet when I compare it to what Jesus wants to do in my heart, in my life, when I compare it to what God wants me to be, he says it's all garbage. And so we live in a world that is running in a race, competing for things that they think that they must have, that they must, they must achieve, that they must uh, attain. And Paul goes, it's all garbage. Shoot. Uh, we, 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 we've been running for the wrong thing. Our life has become so cluttered 
that we missed out the most important thing. Can you imagine getting to the end of the race and recognizing that you were on the wrong track? You see, Christ-likeness is not a journey. It is a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a place that we arrive at. It's a journey that we live on. Being like Jesus is something that we must live out every day of our life. You see, the joke of society is that technology was supposed to make our lives more simple. Anybody remember that? Uh, See, I'm old, so I remember when the computer that used to fit in a room now would fit on my desk and now can fit in, uh, uh, I can pack up and put in a briefcase and can even hold in my hand. I remember the sales pitch that these items, these technological advances would make my life simpler. Anybody else fill their life with technology and feel like it's made your life simpler? In fact, what happens is that I just get more gadgets that I can do more things and then my life is not more simpler. I've got to sync it all together because I've got four different things doing 50 different tasks and I can't keep it all straight. Unfortunately, what it was supposed to save us time and set us free now has us in its clutches and has made us its slave. And instead of my life being more focused and more uh, simplistic, Society has once again robbed us of our first love. Our life, instead of being filled with peace and purpose, is now filled with cluttering instead of clarity. It's it's filled my life with static instead of stability. It's filled my life with frustration instead of focus. So I've cluttered my life. We have cluttered our lives so much that we're missing Jesus. We filled our life with garbage. Instead of with Jesus. Henry David Thoreau said this, Our life is frittered away by details. Simplify your life. You see, what God wants from us is what Paul wanted. Paul said, I want to live my life in a way that Christ is glorified. And the thing that he wrote over and over again to the churches and the people that he cared about, and what we hear from John is, that I left you with the information that was good. But you've walked away from that. And John said you've walked away from your first love. So number one, seek intimacy with Christ. Number two, simplify your life so that Jesus can be at the center. And then we, we do all that, thirdly, so that we can become like Jesus. Pastor, <laughs> I am not like Jesus. I don't even know many people that I want to be like that. I think they're like Jesus. What do you mean become like Jesus? Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 that I read to you just a moment ago, Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, Paul recognized that the track to be on The desire of your heart as a follower of Jesus is to know Christ. Simple. We can make it complicated. We can come up with 42 things of what it means to become like Jesus. But as we focus our heart on the right thing, we begin to recognize our need to be like Jesus.
You see, if we were pursuing a deeper walk with Christ, consistently becoming more like Him, we would be different people. We would be less surprised at His magnificent answers to prayer. We would have more trust and less anxiety. We would be more trusting and less anxious. We would be genuinely following Christ to the core of our being. We would be less religious and more like Jesus. Hey, can I fill you in? We don't need more churches. We need more committed followers of Jesus. We don't need more theological treatises of what the society needs. What we need is more Jesus. If we began people began to become people who proclaim the gospel not only with our words, not only on Sunday morning, not only with the banners of Connection Church, but with our lives, your lives, in our daily walk, if we became the gospel, the good news of Jesus lived out every moment, then our world would be different. What we need is people who say, I want to be more like Jesus. One writer put it this way, it says, the journey towards deeper intimacy with God begins with the decision to reorder our lives according to the priorities of God. The world, listen, cannot set your priorities. They must be set by God. Listen to what the psalmist says. Let these words wash over you. I keep coming back to this passage. I read from it last week and I'm going to read from it again today because God just keeps ringing the spell in my heart. Psalm chapter 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. God wants you to hear this morning that He is the tower to run to, the the peace in the storm, the love in the midst of hate, a friend in, in hard times of life, a protective father that you can trust. Then in verses 2 and 3 He says, Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Even when the world begins to come loose, even when what we know begins to change, God remains the same. When the mountains around us begin to shift, when the earth below us begins to quake, God is still God. If there's anything that we can trust in this world, it's that God is in control of all things. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then at the end of verse 3, there's this little word that we probably most, most of us look over. It says, Selah. It's a Hebrew word that means for us to pause. So as we hear verse 1, that God is our ever-present help in times of trouble, even though the world may shift and change and fall around, fall down around us, pause. Know that He is God. Listen to verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. 
God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, those verses reiterate the fact that God is not affected by the craziness of our world. That we can have peace in our hearts of knowing that God is in control. When my wife and I began to have children, there were people who said, how can you bring a child into this world? It's crazy. You know what I said? God is still on the throne. The peace that I have is not that I will be a perfect parent and that I will raise my children in a perfect way and they will never, they will never face adversity. The peace that I have is that God is God. And so these verses say, even though the, the kingdoms begin to fall and the earth begins to crumble, the Lord of hosts is with us. And then that word pops up again. Selah. Pause. Have peace. Then verse 8, God begins to proclaim once again. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Once again, we hear God is shouting amidst the chaos that I am in control. And then He says the words of verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Listen to what God says. He says, be still. I will be exalted. That... When the waves are crashing in, be still. When the problems are mounting in your life, be still. When the pressure seems unbearable, be still. When there seems to be no hope, be still. When human nature wants you to run away and hide and scream for all your worth, be still. And know that I am God. That, that word be still in the Hebrew means do nothing. It doesn't mean try to fix it. Look at your track record of fixing your life. How are you doing on that? I'm not doing so good. Be still. Know that I am God. How do you become like Christ? You become like Christ by giving over, over control of your life. By not trying to fix it on your own. Here, here's my opinion. Most people don't have a sin problem. That sounds kind of strange. Most people have a control problem. Who's in control? You or God? Because if you're in control, you are going to have a sin problem. But if God is in control, then you can live in peace. You see, Jesus came to set you free from the bondage of your sin. So if He is in control then you're going to be able to overcome your sin and your temptation. But if you're in control, then you're going to battle. That's why he says, be still. Do nothing. Don't try to fix it. Because I am God. 
I will be exalted. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that I read to you in the beginning says, examine yourself. Don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your spouse, don't look at your friend, don't look at your enemy. But instead, ask yourself these questions. Are you walking with Jesus? Are you in an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know Him and does He have access into your heart? Do you... Is your life so busy that there is no room, there is no time, there is no margin for Jesus? Remember what Paul said? You can fill your life up with everything and it's garbage. Garbage. That achievement that you really want to have, I'm not saying don't have any goals. I'm not saying go dig a hole and crawl in it and wait for Jesus to come back. Work hard. Seek to be successful, but put it into, into context. If that's the goal of your life to have that or achieve this or to let everybody see you, it's garbage. Your goal should be to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, He can use your giftedness for His glory. But it's got to be for Him. The last question is this, are you becoming like Jesus? Pastor, I don't know. These are heavy questions. You really kind of dropped it down on me this morning. I don't know what to do. What if I am at the place that I need to make a change, that I need to be more like Jesus, that I need to to get some things out of my life or to reprioritize my life? I want to give you the way to do it. Listen to the words of Isaiah 55. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen to what this says. This says... Seek the Lord while he may be found. You know what that means? That you have to recognize that he is God. Also, you need to see that God doesn't play this spiritual hide-and-go-seek that if you do these right things, that you will find God. Listen, seek the Lord because he wants to be found. He is not hiding from you. In fact, if you are far away from God, it is not because He has walked away from you. It's because you have walked away from Him. God will not turn His back on you. He says, seek me and you will find me. Seeking the Lord means that you recognize that He is God, that you are allowing Him to be the Lord and the boss and the master of your life. Seek God. Secondly, call upon Him. While he is near. Have you ever had somebody who wouldn't return your phone call? How does that make you feel? It frustrates me. You know, if if you don't want to take my phone call, then send me a message back. I hate your guts and I'm not going to talk to you. I mean, just be straight up with me. So if I call you and you don't want to talk, just let me know. I'd rather know it's bad than to think something else. Listen very carefully. When you call out to God, He listens. He doesn't say, let me take a message and I'll get back to you. 
God hears you. It says, call upon him while he is near. That means that if you seek him, you will find him. And it also means that you recognize that you are depending upon him to rescue you. You remember what I said a moment ago about fixing our own lives? Most of us stink at it. I mean, most of us really, we, we, we make more of a mess when we try to fix it. So listen, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near because you need him. I need him. You are not strong enough. I don't care if the world tells you that you should be dependent upon yourself. I, I love living in South Dakota, but you guys have this, this, this survival mentality that I'm not going to ask anybody for help. Listen, the greatest point of weakness is when you need help and you won't ask for it. Call upon Him while He is near because He cares for you. And then He says, forsake your wicked ways and your evil thoughts. You need to confess your sin. I've never set anyone down on the couch in my office and say, listen, you're sinning. I don't understand what sin is. Never. Never happened. Will never happen. You know why? We all understand sin. We understand when we mess up. And God is very clear that we should confess our sins to Him. So when you lay open your life and you see the darkness and, and the ugliness and you say, God can't want me. He, he, he has to not want to be a part of what's going on in here. One of my heroes in the faith, Billy Graham, said it this way. God is a good God, and He only cracks open the door to our heart. He never fl flings it wide open, because if we were to see the darkness and the depths of our sin in our heart, we would become overwhelmed. And so that's where grace comes in. And He cracks it. He lets us see what we need to change. And then he moves on to the next crack and cracks it a little bit more. You see, God knows who you are. God is not surprised when you confess your sin to him. God knows exactly what you have done. He was there. He watched you do it. He watched you make that mistake. He watched you make that poor decision. He watched you as you committed it. And so when you confess it, He's not surprised. doesn't matter how dark or how ugly or how much of it there is. God loves you. Remember what we said earlier? God loves me what? Unconditionally. He already knows. It's a mental game we play that we're hiding it from God. And then he says, turn to the Lord. For He will pardon you. God's not pleased with your sin. We're not condoning your sin. God's not saying it's okay for you to live however you want. But listen, there is forgiveness. There is grace. He will have mercy on you and He will pardon you. Why would He do that? Why would God look at my life and the mistakes that I have made and the, the situations that I have gotten myself into? Why would God even want to pull me out of that? He describes that at the end of, verse, of chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9. He says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. You see, God doesn't work like we do. His patience is incredible. His mercy is never-ending. His, his love for you 
is overwhelming. And so when we come to God that first time and ask forgiveness, and that second time when we've done it again, and that fifth time when we just keep getting back into this pattern, and that 19th time when we're like, God, I'm just stupid, and I keep putting myself back in this place. God is not pleased, but God does forgive. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call call upon Him while He is near. Forsake your sin. Confess it. And then trust that the Lord is able to restore your heart. You see, I don't know about anybody else but me. But when I look at my life and I examine my heart... As Paul encouraged us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 before we take communion and remember what Jesus has done for us, when I examine my heart, I know I'm guilty. I know I'm in need of a Savior. I know I'm in need of grace. So my heart says, and instead of trying to explain my way out of it, instead of trying to fix it on my own, that really what I should do is throw myself at the mercy of the court and to say, Jesus, I'm guilty. I did it. I am sorry. And I need your forgiveness. Here's what you need to know. When you come to the cross, you will never be rejected. That Jesus stands with arms open wide, ready to do a work in your heart. I've experienced it many times. I've never deserved His grace. But He is always giving to me, not like a pauper, but like a king. And that's what He does for you. So today, If you look at your heart and you see the darkness of your sin, if you look at your heart and you you remember the things that you have done and the, the poor decisions that you have made and the places that you have allowed yourself to go, the things that you've allowed yourself to see and do and say, the hurt that you may have created, listen, God still loves you. He still cares about what's going on in your life. And He's standing, not surprised, but ready to forgive. Today, I I want us just to pray. As as we begin to look towards remembering the cross, remembering the blood that was spilt for us, remembering what He did for you, I want you to just examine yourself and ask God, what do I need to do to get my heart right with you. Would you bow your head? Would you pray? Not worried about anybody else but you. If you need to confess your sin, do that. Remember what we said? Seek the Lord. He will be found. Call upon Him because He's near. He's here. and He listens. If you need to confess your sin, right now, do it. Don't wait. Don't hold back. Right where you are.
Lord Jesus, not because we have earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we've done enough good deeds, not because of our family heritage, not because of our place in society, not because of the world's view of who we should be and who we are, but strictly because of the grace of a loving Jesus. We come to the cross today guilty, throwing our lives down, saying, God, we have, we have lived in a way that does not honor you. We live lives that are so busy that there is no margin or place for you. Instead of putting you in as Lord and Savior of our life, God, we keep you as a trinket on our keychain just in case we need you. And so, Father, we recognize like Paul that many of our lives are filled with garbage. And Lord, we confess that to you and we ask you to forgive us. And Lord, I pray today that in the lives and the hearts of the people in this room that we will see Jesus pressed back up, put into the place of Lord, of King, of Boss, and Master of our lives. So Lord, we do not finish our race on the wrong track, running for the wrong things, but instead we recognize that what we do is humble ourselves in your presence and we say that we want to know you, that we want to seek you, that we want to call on you and we ask that you would fill us today. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your patience, for your never-ending grace and mercy. Father, today I ask that as we remember what you have done for us, Lord, that our hearts will be in the right place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When Jesus sat down with his disciples for that Passover meal, they, they were there to remember the goodness of a God that had delivered his people. And as they took that bread and as they took that wine, they glorified God. So my goal for you today, my challenge, is that as we take the bread and as we take the juice, that you will remember the goodness of God in your life. That you will remember the grace that has been poured out into your life. That you will remember the hundreds of times that God has forgiven you, has restored you, has blessed you, has provided for you. The sacrifice of the cross that he made for you. So this bread and this juice that we're about to take does not save you. Jesus is the only one that saves. So if you've never given your heart to him, you need to know that this is just bad bread and juice from the store. <laughs> but what it symbolizes is the grace of a holy God that sacrificed everything for you. So let's remember, we're going to pass out the bread. And I want you to begin to think about the body of Christ that was broken for you.
1 Corinthians 11 says that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, they didn't take his life. He gave it. And the blood that was spilt should have been yours. So as we pass out this juice, I want you to focus on the blood that was poured out. after supper he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes we remember because it's priority Our lives cannot be filled with the world. They need to be filled with Jesus. So I'm praying for you that this would be a place that is filled with people who love Jesus with all their heart, who don't end the race on the wrong track, achieving the wrong things and gaining the wrong possessions, but instead live for the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live each day as the Lord intended it, for His glory and for His honor. Scripture says that after they took this this, uh, bread and this wine, that they sang and they worshiped together. So that's what we want to do. 
We not only want to remember him through communion, but we want to praise his name. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing together. Jeffrey's going to lead us. Don't just sing words on a screen. Worship God with all of your heart. May this theater just be filled with the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ.